It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Monday afternoon and uh, the call. One hour, 10 stocks we put to an expert panel for their adjudication. Uh, Hopefully you're keeping dry on the East Coast and in the southern states. Enjoying a beautiful day in Adelaide and Perth by the sound of it today. Uh, Wherever you are across Australia, it's great to have your company. And uh, a very big welcome to our expert panel today for the call. Scott Phillips from Motley Falls. Scott, you're in the Southern Highlands, so how are you? Uh, you're keeping dry down there? Gosh, you good afternoon. I am, uh, look, a bit of a lot of rain here, but can't complain. We've had no real flood, a little bit of localised flooding, nothing like southeast Queensland and north and northwestern Sydney have just been out of control. So pretty, yeah. pretty fortunate to be here and think about those people struggling. Yep, absolutely. Rob Collett from Macro is with us. Rob, um, no leaks at home? No, no, put the snorkel <laughs> waiting uh, once I got to work. But yeah, made it, made it fine. It is absolutely staggering at the moment. We were covering it on Sunrise this morning. Warwick Amber Dam is currently spilling the equivalent of um, Sydney Harbour every 24 hours. Wow. It's coming out of that. Just the amount of water is extraordinary in this event. And uh, it's not getting uh, not getting any better for the next 24 hours. So uh, battening down, keeping dry, and we will help you hopefully with a bit of direction on the share market over the next 60 minutes. Uh, before we get into your stocks, I always take a look at um, suggest a stock of the day, something that's been in the news and of course Crown is back in the news confirming it's received a takeover offer from private equity group Blackstone uh, with an indicative price of $11.58 cash per share, valuing the company at $8 billion. The board saying it's not yet formed a view on the merits of the proposal, appointing UBS as a financial advisor. Blackstone already holds about 10% of the company. Um, Scott, what do you think of the offer? And what should uh, shareholders be doing at the moment? Easy thing, I'll answer the second question first, Koshi, because it's the easy one. Uh, absolutely nothing. Just wait and see because yep. there's plenty more to play out on this one. Look, it's an interesting offer. It's the best price in the last 12 months for Crown shares. So if you bought in the last 12 months, you're cheering. It's actually lower than almost any other price for the previous three years before that. So it kind of depends on, on what you're looking at. It seems like a pretty good deal for Blackstone. 
Uh, not a bad option for long-suffering crown shelves if you just had enough and you're seeing there's an opportunity to finally just get out at an okay price. Um, I think the deal will probably go through in one form or another. Maybe there's another bid. Maybe the board manages to talk Blackstone up just a little bit um, and get a couple more cents. So I wouldn't do anything just yet. There's plenty more to play out. Um, the old story applies though, mate. If you're selling to private equity, assume they're getting a good price. Uh, so if you're a shareholder, you're probably, you're probably a little bit aggrieved, but you're probably also happy to see that the 17% old jump today and you'll take the money. Right. Would, would you get into it as a new shareholder? No, mate. I, I, I think playing takeover arbitrage is a really, really tough game. Occasionally it works out. Occasionally you get a second offer, maybe you get another dollar a share or something. But if this doesn't go through, the shares fall back at 15 or 17%, probably further actually, because there's already some takeover premium in the price now, as we saw from that chart before. This could go back to sub $10 really fast if the takeover right. bid fails to materialize or the, they walk away for some reason or other. So I wouldn't wait for the takeover. I think you wait to see whether there's another offer, wait to see if the board can talk these guys up. But at an appropriate time, look, maybe you leave five temps in on the table, but compared to the, the, the risk of losing multiples of that, if you buy now and, and, and get, do badly, I wouldn't be playing that game personally. Yeah. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, look, I totally agree. Uh, you don't buy into it here, but if you still got it, you'd hold on to it. Yeah. Um, look, James is old man, Kerry, uh, built up a reputation as being a very uh, tough negotiator. And uh, we know that a successful takeover on the ASX typically or historically has gone through at a 33% premium. So this offer seems a bit low to me. Um, seems a little bit opportunistic as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think that... Um, the Crown Casino or Crown Resorts Board will come out and, and recommend to shareholders to take it straight away. Uh, the problem that they've got is we don't see another bidder at the moment. Mm. We don't see it being a viable option for anyone else. Yeah. So unless they can somehow get these guys to bid against themselves, it might be quite difficult. But look, if they can, um, you'd probably suggest something around the $13 mark. Right. Probably get it over the line. Because they're, they're also undergoing, whereas New South Wales had the inquiry on whether they were uh, fit to hold a licence, Victoria and WA are doing their own inquiry now, aren't they? Mm. Going back into it um, after sort of being a bit embarrassed by the, new, the result of the New South Wales one, which was which was based on their operations in Victoria and WA. You will lose a concern. Um, Two thirds of their revenue comes from the uh, Crown Melbourne Casino. Yeah. So, um, you know, they'd be crossing their fingers and toes and hoping that uh, there's not the same kind of result out of Melbourne that there was for Sydney. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting time at the moment. So if you're a shareholder, uh, hold on, wait and see how it plays out. If you're not a shareholder, it's just not worth the risk getting into it. All right, uh, let's get into uh, the 10 stocks that you've suggested we cast our eye over today. And um, Rob Lachlan wants a view on Fletcher Building, the, um, the big building products construction material uh, group based in, in New Zealand, but operations in Australia throughout, throughout Asia as well. Um, what do you think of Fletcher Building? Yeah, look, so um, they're obviously hit extremely hard uh, with COVID. 61% um, of their revenue comes from New Zealand. And we all know that New Zealand was the first uh, developed country to lock down uh, their economy. Um, the results were uh, pretty good as far as what's being forecast. Uh, so revenue dropped by about uh, 21%, but it's forecast to pick up by another five. Um, EBITDA dropped by about 36%, but it's forecast to rebound and come back up by about 76%. So, um, look, it's, it's doing well. Uh, it's probably not the preferred name that we would have in this space. Uh, we'd probably look at something like uh, Reliance Worldwide or RWC. I think we've spoken right. about that a right. few times. 
But um, look, the, the business is doing okay. Uh, underlying EBIT was up 48% uh, half on half. Uh, and their forward order book comprises about $2.4 billion of, of better margined um, deals. So they're okay. If you're in it, you could hold it, um, yep. but we wouldn't be buying in at these levels. Okay. Um, Scott, what do you think of uh, Fletcher Building? I agree with Robert. I think, Koshi, it's a tough one, this one. I, I think it's reasonable to assume. I certainly expect the economy to bounce back pretty well in 2021 and 2022. And I think that'll also help the construction game. The problem is when you're paying 24-odd times earnings for Fletcher, it's already a $5 billion business, so it's not exactly a tiddler in the space. There's plenty of um, potential price risk. There's some upside potential, profit-wise, potentially share price-wise, if the, the recovery does happen the way we expect. The key one, I think, for a lot of people is what does it mean for residential and commercial construction? And we don't yet really know. Infrastructure broadly, so bridges and tunnels, that's a decent chance. Governments are you know, putting plenty of money in infrastructure into recovery spending. But how much of how much of that Fletcher gets compared to, frankly, we know in Australia, you know, the population fell. The numbers I saw last week for the first time in I don't know how many decades in Australia because immigration simply has been turned off. Mm. If you don't get that building growth, that stimulus that puts into homes and, and you know, houses and units, um, other associated building, what does it mean for the building materials space? I think it's a bit too much to pay. That's a pretty good looking share price chart, but it probably means most of the most of the good news is priced in. I can't pay 24 times earnings for a building materials company unless I really have a, a strong conviction that the, the upside is there or the future is as bright as it might be. I just don't see it, or at least I don't see a strong enough likelihood of it to make it a buy today, unfortunately. Okay. All right. So thank you for that, Lachlan. Uh, that's the uh, the view on Fletcher Building. Scott, uh, Aaron wants a view on Antilles Gold. Now, Aaron's given us some notes saying profitable Gold and silver microcap, only 18 million market cap. Uh, Aaron says the executive chairman consistently on market buying owns 36%, which with a lot of analysts, that shows a bit of conviction. Uh, they have a yep. promising mine project with the Cuban government with 15 years estimated life. Tax breaks from the Cuban government as well. Um, and the shares are trading for less than the adjusted NTA. Um, which means you have the opportunity to enter the future business for free. And Aaron has put a disclosure at the end. Aaron, we sort of guessed this. I hold it in my self-managed super fund. So uh, probably leading the fan club here. But uh, what do you think of Antilles Gold, Scott? Koshi, I'll tend to do a Tony Jones, mate. Just I'll take that as a comment. It was a, less, a comment, less a question than a comment, but no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, uh, what, I, what I do love about Aram's reply, by the way, or question is that uh, they've actually disclosed an ownership stake, which is really cool. So rather than just putting that out and, and letting it go, they've done the right thing. They said, hey, I own some shares. I'm probably biased, uh, but I do think it's good value. What do you guys reckon? Which is a great way to ask the question. Yep. Uh, look, it seems on, on the surface, if you're going to play in this gold and silver space, a pretty good way to do it because you are getting a very decent amount of value uh, now, it's a tiddler, but you're getting, you're getting a decent amount of value already priced in. Partly its size is the risk. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the companies themselves already said they're going to spend a decent amount of money on expansion. And so it's one thing to say, hey, we've got all this cash. We're not going to do anything with it. Just sitting around. If you buy the shares, you get some of that. That's, that's one thing. If I said, look, mate, I've got, I've got $20 million in cash. I'm going to buy $20 million lottery tickets. Do you want to come and buy some shares in my company? You might say, well, hang on. You've got the cash now, but if I know you're going to use it for a lot of tickets, I'm not so sure you're going to get any value for that. Now, I'm not saying this company is in that particular space. What I am saying is you've got to be a little bit careful with how you use cash on the books to justify an investment or otherwise in a particular company. I have no view on how well or otherwise they'll use that cash, by the way. So I'm not saying I'm negative on it. 
Um, but I just think if you look at it and say, I've got the cash, we're going to use it for expansion, we're going to use it for growth, you know, it wouldn't be the first first potential miner to go and waste multi-million dollars on, on exploration or uh, attempted commercialization never comes to anything and they dust the entire lot and say, well, we gave it a go. On the other hand, you know, maybe it's the next big thing. So really hard to, to use, but just a warning on that cash, uh, not to not to take it too strongly as a guarantee of value you otherwise might get. If you believe in the company, you believe in the management, you believe in their prospects, and, and the prospects do look pretty good, particularly in Cuba, that sounds pretty good. But please don't take it as, as red. You can just you know, bank that $20 million and get the rest for free. If they weren't going to use it for anything, you absolutely could. But they look like they're going to use it for expansion and growth. All of that said, I'm not a big fan of, of miners, as you know, Koshi. The gold price is pretty high. Come down a little bit this year. Um, but if you look at any sort of long-term chart, really, really, really high. I'm generally uncomfortable. I've said before on the program, I'm not a big fan of gold or gold miners at the current price. So the other problem, unfortunately, at this stage, if you're looking at that company is if the gold price comes down, then it's less profitable than it looks. So if you've got a strong view on the gold prices, I've always said, then you look at the operations. If you don't have a strong view on the gold price, you have a negative view on the gold price, it almost doesn't matter what the operations do. So I'm gonna give this on a miss, uh, but I like the question. I think if you're gonna have a go at gold and you wanna get in that junior minor space, this is a very good way to do it. But those big ifs are ifs I'm not prepared to put my name to. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna say go, go for it, but if you want to, I can understand why this looks like a pretty good risk adjusted option to do exactly that. Right. Um, in fact, the executive chairman is consistently buying is good on one side, but as we can see from the chart, it looks pretty illiquid, doesn't it? So that's adding to the illiquidity of the stock. Yeah, and as you'd expect, it's an $80 million company market cap-wise. There's only so many shares reasonably can trade. But as you say, look, I mean, it's great that he's still buying. I mean, with all the, I don't know how much other money the chairman's got, we could be doing anything else with it he wanted to. If he's going to say, you know what, I think this has got really good value. There's the old saying, directors sell for many reasons, but only buy for one. Uh, I, I normally say they buy for two. One is window dressing, which is not uncommon, unfortunately. Just this show of support kind of thing that directors kind of feel like they're obliged to do. But broadly speaking, other than that, and if you're buying over the long term, you've already got a big stake anyway. The only reason you're going to buy is you think you can make money doing it. So I think it is a, a, a net positive and a, a pretty significant positive okay. too, quite honestly, Koshi. But you're right to highlight the lack of liquidity as well. And that chart absolutely shows exactly that. Yeah. Rob, what do you um, think of Yeah, so uh, I had a lot of fun uh, looking into this. I'm a numbers guy. So uh, when the viewer kind of mentioned about the uh, chairman buying the stock, that's the first place I looked at. Um, so Brian Johnson, the executive chairman, he's buying about 300 to 400,000 shares a month across three different uh, companies that he owns. Um, so far this year, he's picked up 1.1 million shares uh, for just over $100,000. So he's all in prices averaging at about uh, 9.2 cents per share. Um, however, there is a lack of liquidity. Um, his 1.1 million shares represent 6.3% of all the shares that are traded this year. Uh, that's, that's a huge number. And on certain days when he was buying stock, he was as much as 91% of the entire day's volume. So um, the concern would have to be what happens if he steps away from the market and stops buying. You know, I noticed today we're down 6.7% uh, as we speak. And that's only on $2,500 worth of shares swapping right. hands. Okay. So it's, it's a large spread, uh, very liquid. Um, the other thing that uh, people need to understand is um, there was, it seemed like there could have been a bit of an inference in the, in the uh, question that uh, perhaps the chairman was buying stock because he knew that this $20 million 
or the $4.5 million would be coming back into the company. Yeah. Um, that's, that simply can't be the case. Um, you know, that would be uh, inside information, and I'm sure uh, Brian's not um, engaging any of, any of that. No one yeah. wants to go to jail. So um, he wouldn't have any more information about whether or not they're about to get a resolution on that $20 million than what has already been disclosed to the market. Right. The other thing that uh, needs to be uh, looked at is that $20 million comes from a court case that was established back in 2005, 2006. It's 15 years and it still hasn't been resolved. Wow. What's to say that it's going to get resolved in the next 12 months? Right. Furthermore, what's to say that the equity they get from coming to some kind of agreement is actually $20 million? Yep. Um, on top of that, what's to say the actual um, equity they get given is in the form of cash. It could take some other form. Maybe, look, come on back. Um, here's another uh, piece of ground you can mine and here's some tax concessions. Right. So um, I don't think that you want to be looking to buy the stock purely because either the chairman's buying it or you're expecting that $20 million to come back in. Yeah. Um, the viewer also mentioned about a $4.5 million um, sale of assets um, from the old Dominican uh, project. That's true, but they're talking about pushing into a Cuban project. Yeah. Well, they need, there's capital expenditure for that program. And I think they've already voiced that it's going to be like a $13 million CapEx program. So that $4.5 million, that disappeared straight away. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting note they, they put out at the end of January too, Koshi. Um, it said that there's a, they're expecting to get 60,000 tonnes of gold concentrate. Um, on this project that they own a 49% stake in. Uh, the problem with it is that they actually are going to be selling it off to a Russian uh, company at a 35% discount to the gold price right. because um, the concentrate is very heavily in uh, arsenic. So these Russian companies are going to kind of extract the gold despite the arsenic contact. So they're only going to be picking up about uh, 1950 bucks an ounce there. So look, it should still be good for the share price in the sense that it's roughly $64 million in rev, which is a big uptick from where they were 12 months ago before they lost their previous uh, project. They had uh, revenues around 44 million. Yep. But look, at, at these levels, um, if you're getting in, it's purely speculative, but it should be more to do with the project they're talking about and what they can derive from that, rather than just speculation, oh, the shareholders buying it, oh, sorry, the, the chairman's buying it, yep. or, um, that they might be getting this $24.5 million cash back. Right, okay. Um, that's a really good analysis of it. Thank you for putting the work into that. And Aaron, um, really good reading there from both Scott and, uh, and Rob on Antilles Gold. Interesting end of the market. Uh, we're going to stay in small gold miners now with SSR Mining. Chris says, uh, I bought in at 1950. Feel there's a lot of upside from here. Thoughts on this company for a five-year time horizon. They're a gold exploration company, SSR Mining, with four producing assets in the US, Turkey, Canada, and Argentina, combined with uh, some exploration assets in, in the USA, Turkey, Mexico, Peru. Uh, 2019, the company's four operating assets produced 720,000 ounces of gold and 7.7 .7 million ounces of silver. Rob... Uh, What's your view on SSR? Yeah, so it's interesting um, for the fact that um, the breakup of where they're getting their money from. So 80% comes from gold, 18% uh, comes from silver. And there's not that many um, silver plays on the ASX that are actually producing at the moment. There's lots of companies out there that are exploring. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at silver 
uh, for an investment. It's actually significantly outperformed uh, the gold price in the last 12 months. I think it's up um, something like 49% um, in the last 12 months. Okay. So um, that is an interesting play. Um, they're all in sustainable costs for the gold around uh, 10.50 to 11.10 for gold. Uh, so there should be some good margin for the gold they do pull out. Uh, the revenue growth was great. That was up 40%. EBITDA was up 54%. Uh, net profits were increasing. They're up to 151% growth. Um, so they're all really positive things about the stock. The one thing that you'd have to be concerned about or just aware of when you go into it, um, the free cash flow for this year, 75% of it is expected to be generated in the second half of the year. Right. So it might be a safer play just to wait until you get into the second half of the year where you can be a little bit more comfortable maybe through some of their announcements to market that they are actually going to hit that uh, cash flow they're expecting because okay. it's so heavily weighted in the back end. Fairly newly listed as yep. well, isn't it? Yeah, so it's actually dual listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. Right. Um, there was a, a takeover of another company, um, I forget at the moment, uh, sorry, Alicia Gold it was. Right. Um, and so, yeah, they've kind of gone back to, that's where they're getting the support from. So it's rebranded. It's basically Alicia Gold, just um, rebranded. Right. Okay. Uh, Scott, SSR Mining. Rob's had a great summary of, uh, of the company. I can't add much more to the content or the detail. I, I, look, the, the merger is the hardest part of this in terms of trying to draw a straight line through the financials. They've done a pretty good job of producing and reproducing those financials pre and post um, uh, merger of the two businesses, of course. And so it's a little bit messy. Of course, they, they've, they've uh, guided for about 100,000 gold equivalent ounces of production this uh, financial year at about 11 to $1,200 per ounce of gold. That again, I've said the same thing for Antilles before, so I'm a bit of a broken record on this. That is what the entire investment case hinges on. If the gold price doubles or halves, it doesn't matter how good or how bad your operations are, you're gonna either make or lose a whole lot of money. Um, it, it feels like a bit of a cop out to say that in a kind of a broad swathe across the industry, but that's simple reality. You just can't control that cost. That being said, as I said, if you are gonna invest in those places, you wanna invest in the better providers, better producers in the area. I do tend to like evolution more if you're going to do that. Um, if you can't control the gold price, but you want to be invested, I think the best way to minimize your risk, or at least uh, in a relative sense, try and reduce that risk, is to go with an operator you know and trust, one that's had a good track record of production. Um, not to say these guys can't or won't be that company, um, but as Rob has already said at the beginning, that that merger or the, the merger with, uh, with LASA really makes the numbers a little bit harder to, to really get under and see what the individual assets are doing. And then as you mentioned at the top, Koshi, some of that exploration cost, um, how far, how quickly, how much does that cost? A bit of a black box there. So there is a there is a place for these players. As I said there's a time and a place to invest in them if you want to. I wouldn't be going for this one. I'd be going for someone I knew and uh, I won't say trust. I, mean, these, I can't trust these guys, but if you've got a proven performer, mm. if you can't control the price, at least control the operations. For me, that'd be evolution. Yep, yep. Uh, good comments there. Chris, thank you for uh, that suggestion. Um, now, Scott, uh, Ken wants a, we're going to get out of gold mining and into tech. And uh, Ken wants a view on Elmo Software. They're the, uh, the big SaaS software model in, in HR, payroll, rostering, staff management um, platforms um, operating both in Australia and New Zealand. Elmo Software has had a bit of a following over the last couple of years. It really has, mate. It's it fascinating too. The, the February numbers they put out were actually really good. They had 30% growth in revenue. I think it was 43% growth in annualised recurring revenue. 
And you normally go, wow, that sounds like a business is getting some stuff done. Now, part of that was acquired revenue. And part of it was the market saying, well, that's good, but not good enough, or at least as good as we'd hoped for. And with all of these stocks, you've really got to be mindful of what you're buying, what price you're paying. When I say what you're buying, I don't even necessarily mean what business you're buying. What I mean is the expectations that are built into the price when you buy. Effectively, you know, if you've got a business growing at 30%, you're pretty happy with that. You're happily with that run. But if you bought the shares or the market thought at the time it might grow at 40, 50, 60%, well, you end up with that sort of right-hand side of that chart there. The decline we're seeing really is the result of, of a disappointed market. The numbers are pretty solid and it's doing a pretty good job of acquiring and retaining customers. I think I remember seeing numbers about a retention about 94.7%, um, which is remarkable for a SaaS business. It's not exactly top of the class, but if you can get to 95, 95 plus, that's about as good as it gets. These guys focus on small and small to medium enterprise customers. As you say, Koshi, largely they started New Zealand and Australia. They are hoping to take that business across to Europe in particular. Um, that kind of zero to 200 employees. They've got the Breathe platform or Preth platform, sorry, for less than 50 employees and the Elmo branded platform for 50 to 200 employees. There's a whole lot of things, HR management, workflow, uh, timesheets, the whole the whole box and dice, um, HR information, of course. It, it's, it's a really good little business a little Australian business just you know getting out there and, and getting it done and, and really good to see it happening um, I think the market was a little bit rough on it in the, in the in the February results I'm not sure how much more the market expected or wanted uh, but the shares are down a lot I've got to say if you like the company three six nine twelve months ago I don't really see any reason to like it less unless you genuinely thought it should be able to deliver more growth than it has it's got a really cool land and expand model to one of those uh, tech jargon terms that people like to throw around. The idea is you go to a, a customer, you sell in one module of your total product suite, and then once yep. they've got that and they start using it, you go back and say, hey, how would you like this or this or this? So you land the customer, then you expand the services, the number of services, the value of services they buy, and that's also working really well for them. So I like Elmo, it's not making any money, it is absolutely more speculative than some of the other companies we'll talk about today. But you know, again, that, that revenue growth, there's nothing to sneeze at. The annualized recurring revenue of 44%, says it's doing something right uh, for yep. me almost a buy okay all right spec buy for uh, Scott what do you think Rob yeah look unfortunately we're not going to buy it uh, today um, look when the results came out the market didn't like it the stock is at 650 uh, it's finding itself down at five dollars at the moment now, Scott said hard to please because the results were pretty good weren't they yeah uh, look people like getting involved in the space of uh, software as a solution uh, or yeah. software as a service, um, but with that comes very high expectations, right. uh, and then perhaps that 38% just wasn't uh, enough, or 25% yeah. growth wasn't enough. So um, they've also been removed from the ASX 300 index. Not that that has a huge bearing on how much um, money would be flowing into it from fund managers, but it is something uh, that happened with the share price around 550. So right. it's declined another 10% from there. Um, they are looking to expand into the UK, which is interesting. Uh, we, we do like businesses typically that are increasing their addressable market size. Uh, currently, 91% of their revenues from Australia, 9% from New Zealand. That'll obviously change as they move into the UK. Uh, they've done it through a couple of acquisitions. Uh, as Scott said, they've got the Breathe platform in the UK. Uh, they've also got the web expenses. Um, the annual reoccurring uh, revenue uh, is actually up at 97%. So obviously it's had that mm. good growth that Scott mentioned of you know 43% yeah. um, PCP. Um, so that's something that's really good to see on it. But right now, I'd probably go back to a few conversations we've had, uh, Koshi, about the share price and the 200-day moving average. Uh, this is below, uh, and for us, right. there's no trend in place. We couldn't get involved here. The market's uh, 
clearly undecided about the stock. Um, so what, it may be a great business, they may be able to turn the share price around, but right now it's not worth the risk for okay. us. All right, there you go, Ken. Um, now, James uh, wants a view, uh, Rob, on Webjet, the, uh, the big travel, online travel business, which a lot of people have in their, uh, their top three or four travel companies that will benefit from the reopening of the economy and travel. Are you convinced on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Webjet is part of the core holding that we have for clients in our ah. portfolios. Um, look, we, we do prefer it over Flight Centre. Uh, I know there's a lot of um, kind of two camps, which one do you prefer? Yep. We almost kind of, um, in the office, we talk about Webjet and Flight Centre the same as you would say Afterpay and Zip. Yep. Um, you know, Flight Centre is like the Afterpay in the sense that it's going to have much greater movements and be a lot more volatile to uh, announcements that come out. Um, however, um, we think Webjet's just a more strong, sounder business like we believe Zip is as well. Um, you know, this pandemic is going to crush a lot of the small travel companies. Sure, they may come back in, but before they can, uh, there's going to be a whole um, section of that market that's up for grabs. And typically we see that when this happens to a sector, it's the large market um, owners that step in first and swoop right. it up. So we would expect Webjet to actually come out of COVID with a greater margin share than what mm. they had. Their margins will probably um, push out a little bit as well because they have less competition. We know everybody wants to go and travel. Everyone's making yep. plans already as to where they're going to go. <laughs> um, they have the luxury of having web beds as well as uh, the, the actual flights. And web beds, I'm not sure if people have forgotten, but it was the fastest growing B2B business in the world prior mm. to COVID. Right. So, um, you know, the government's spending a lot of money on advertising saying, um, you know, take your holidays domestic. Well, you know, that doesn't benefit uh, Flight Centre to a huge degree, unless you're going rural. Um, but, you know, it, it does play out for Webjet, just right. going to different hotels that they own. Okay. So uh, Webjet is definitely a, a hold in our uh, portfolio. And, and buy it if you don't have it. Uh, buy, buy it six, seven, eight. Yeah, we'd buy it at these hooks. prices. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Scott? Uh, Koshi, I'll, I'll, I'll take Aaron's lead from earlier and disclose I own shares in Webjet, so let's let's start there. Um, but I have to say, for us at the moment, it's still a hold. And and the real concern, well, let me, let me start with the positive. The positive, I completely agree with anything Rob said. Webjet is a greatly underappreciated business. Uh, it has a remarkable diversification of business. We think about it in Australia because we're, we're, yeah, we're used to the Webjet brand as a travel brand, and that's still its cash car business. But that B2B Webbeds business is a phenomenal business, growing really, really nicely. I like the CEO, I like the board. Um, they've done a fantastic job growing this company. If you go back pre-COVID, you saw the graph before, the value creation there has been phenomenal, really, really strong. And so that's, you know, big wraps on the company and, and, its, and its business. One thing we'd be careful with that graph is the shares have almost doubled. The share count, I should say, has almost doubled um, during the middle of the, the early 2020 period where they basically had to raise a whole lot of capital to keep themselves afloat. And so while $6 looks like a low price relative to the past, and it is, um, on a like-for-like -like basis, if we actually were graphing the market cap rather than the share price, you'd actually be a whole lot closer than that. I think it was a 91%, something like that, dilution. Um, wow. So effectively, they, were, they went close enough to one-for-one one new shares. So $6 now is probably the best part of $11 you know, then. Uh, so it's not as cheap as it otherwise might look. I know Robert knows that, of course, but just for our listeners, our viewers, sorry. Um, but that's an important difference to, to just point out. I like the business. I like what it's doing. I want to see a bit of recovery first before we go back from from hold to buy. And that is just simply to make sure that 
the value we think will return actually does return. Uh, I'm pretty bullish, I have to say. Uh, we have all three, Corporate Travel, Flight Center, and Webjet on hold at the moment, uh, right across the sector, just until we see a bit more value. Mm. I'm pretty pleased we held them right through um, the COVID recession, and that was tough from time to time. The, the price got, I think, down to below 250, might have even been close to two bucks at one point. So holding took some nerve for us and for our members, but um, I, I just want to see, given the price recovery, and given, as I said, that share dilution, I just want to see a bit more evidence of actual profit returning right. before we go back to buy. Okay. All right. Good uh, review there on Webjet. Let's just recount the um, the first five stocks. Stock of the day was Crown. Uh, if you're in it, hold it and see what happens. Uh, uh, is a view of both Rob and Scott. Uh, not worth getting into it at this stage after the takeover offer today. Um, Fletcher Building, a no from Scott. Uh, it's a hold from Rob, although he prefers Reliance in, in this space than Fletcher Building. And Tilly's Gold, a no from both SSR Mining. Um, uh, Rob's going to wait and see how it goes through to the second half because that's when they expect more, to, more of the earning or more of the revenue to come in. Uh, a no from Scott, he prefers something more established in that gold mining sector such as Evolution. Uh, Elmo Software, um, a no from, uh, from Rob, a speculative buy from Scott, and uh, Webjet is a hold from Scott and a buy from Rob. Now, here on the call, we have our own fantasy portfolio that we've been tracking since July the 1st, thanks to our uh, partner, NAB Trade. Uh, any stocks that get two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again, in front of the panel and doesn't get unanimous approval, it goes out. Let's see how we've been doing in the last week. Um, the portfolio is up 1%. It's down a third of a percent for the month and since the 1st of July up 24.5%. Now, take a look at some of the uh, stocks that have been recently added. Super Retail, uh, Brain Chip, Evolution Mining. Uh, event hospitality and entertainment on the bridgeway. Some of the stocks that have been removed, Handsome Technologies and Calix. Now, uh, if you want to see the stocks in the calls portfolio, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, be sure to join us later this afternoon. Uh, on the team here, uh, we'll be talking to the Badcourt Chief Executive, uh, Daryl Abatomi, um, um, as uh, they uh, reported today and have snapped up a couple of stakes. Uh, uh, he will be, Daryl will be joining the team as they're on the uh, expansion trail at 150 Eastern. Babcorp, um, I think is part of the calls portfolio at the moment as well. So that will be interesting to catch up uh, with Daryl. Let's uh, kick off our second five stocks that we're taking a look at. And uh, Scott, Nick wants a view on the listed investment company Regal Funds. Uh, Nick said initially, I bought initially in the float um, in 2019. Excellent capital growth and distribution since inception, but volume is very low, daily share buybacks and some big sell orders around 430 and above. Should I be worried about the low volume and should I look to take some profits? How do you rate Regal Funds as a listed investment company, Scott? Gosh, great questions. I actually really like the questions that were asked because they're a different, slightly different angle to what I was going to answer when I looked at the company originally. So let's try and go through those. Low liquidity isn't necessarily a problem, but you have to remember if you've got a decent stake and you want to sell out, it may take you a while to sell those shares and or 
you may not get the price you want for a decent amount of time. So I don't, I don't tend to worry about liquidity personally, um, but you've got to have a decent time frame and stomach for volatility because you simply may not get offered the price you want. There may be any shares at all for sale and sometimes on given days. So if that's going to worry you, um, then make sure your position is sized appropriately. Um, secondly, taking part, taking profits. The challenge with a listed investment company is that there aren't, there's not obvious profits on the table. At the moment, this thing trades for, last numbers, 0.98 times book. In other words, it's effectively worth the value of the assets it holds. So there's no reason to believe that the profits that you've earned are necessarily going away unless the investment performance obviously uh, goes negative or, or the market itself goes negative. So you've got to be mindful of that. But there's not, it's not like a business where the share prices run a heap up ahead of the business itself. Um, if you own, you know, we talked about some of the tech companies before, you know, if the share price doubles because sentiment goes up, that's different. In this case, the, the net asset value of the fund or the, the company is effectively tracking exactly um, against the share price or close enough to it. So there's no real sentiment driver to, to need to take part profits. Now, back to the company itself. This has been an extraordinary performer, I have to say. Shortish time period that it's been in existence. It's, a, it's an interesting listed investment company. It basically takes five or six different investment strategies and allocates its portfolio to those strategies and invests within those strategies. It does a long and short portfolio. So this is a pretty mm. complex way to be investing. Um, bulk of it's in, invested in Australia, some in Asia, some in the US, a little bit in Europe and Middle East and, and Africa, but not much. Um, it's a bit of a difficult one to get your head around, but the investment performance thus far has been extraordinary. Um, something like a 40% annualized return. Now, as I said, short period of time. I'm not suggesting people look at that number and say, great, I'm going to pile in. Uh, it wouldn't be the first business that went spectacularly well early and then badly after that. Of course, it would also wouldn't be the first business to do well early and keep doing well. So I wouldn't get in or out of it as a result. As I said, because it's trading rough that, roughly that net asset value, I see no reason to sell. It's not an obvious buy for me unless you know, believe and like the fund management team. Like any investment company, if you're buying at the asset value, you're buying the underlying assets outright. You have to believe then the investment team will go and buy and sell those assets moving forward. Uh, but, you know, buying the right ones, selling the right ones, maximizing the value yeah. from the portfolio. Hard to argue against it because it's doing so well so far. So I'm not going to say it's a sell. Um, I don't know the team well enough to suggest it's a buy at this point either, other than okay. if you're happy to look at the track record and say, wow, they've got to have something going on because this is, this, this is going really, really well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you for doing that either. Okay, Rob? Yeah, look, uh, I think Scott made a really good point about uh, the net tangible assets of the business and the share price. Uh, they're basically in line. And so um, despite the fact that share prices run so hard, it's not overinflated versus mm. its intrinsic value. It's actually so, delivering. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's within one or, one or two percent here or there on any given uh, day. Um, so there's no need to be selling it just because of the run up that it's had. Uh, that being said, I'm not typically a fan of investing in something that reports on net tangible assets for that very reason. You don't get the opportunity to sell out at a, at a premium to fair value because there's a bit of hype around it. Uh, nor do you typically get much of an opportunity to buy at a discount. So you are just buying the, the true value. Um, now, this particular um, uh, list of investment companies, the global alpha strategy is over, up over 200% in the last 12 months. Uh, the emerging corporate fund is up nearly 110%. Uh, the small company strategy is up over 72%. So they've had some incredible results, um, but it is a very small period of time. And because it's an alternative hedge fund, there isn't very much correlation with the underlying market. Right. Um, the other thing that investors need to know is they do use uh, derivatives and options, and they do have the ability to gear up their positions by up to 300%. Mm -hmm. So it may very well be 
that uh, these returns which have outperformed the market are a result of them having a huge leveraged position. Right. Uh, if the market does come off and they're still holding that leveraged position, as much as they've outperformed the market to the upside, they may very well underperform the market yeah. to the downside. So, right. um, look, I'd probably be tending to start to trim some out of the market at these levels. Um, but if you're wanting to be a believer of their abilities over the next five years, sure, you, you could keep holding it. The other thing that I can give um, investors just a tip on when they're looking at whether it's whether or not it's the right time to trim some out, go to the market and look at the buy side and the sell side volume. So currently we've got about 187,000 shares on the bid and about 84,000 on the offer. So about two to one on the buy side. Um, that typically will show you that the smart money is probably looking still to get into it. So you can mm -hmm. be a little bit more standoffish on the trim. So maybe, uh, as the viewer said, there's some volume around the 4.30. Maybe that's where he starts participating, maybe at 4.29, maybe yep. a little bit further back. Okay, all right. So a yes, oh, take some profits would, if you're already yeah. Okay. All right, um, Thomas wants a view on um, uh, Rob on domain. The, the big real estate, media and technology business that uh, was spun out of Nine Entertainment or back in the old days, Fairfax, the biggest competitor, realestate.com.au. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Domain? Um, yeah, so look, uh, the, the revenues were down 5.5%. Uh, uh, however, they did a good job just um, fixing up their their costs actually dropped their expenses by 9.9%. So that's a, quite a significant cost-based reduction. Um, you know, so that's one of the positives that's coming out of, of this company. Their forecast numbers are actually quite good. They're forecasting growth in revenue of about 9%, EBITDA increase of 14%, and net profit they're forecasting a rise of 43%, which is equal to what they'd lost in the previous um, period. Um, they are also looking to um, expand digitally. They've launched an app um, that actually grew um, by 57%. So there's lots of things to like uh, for them moving forward. Uh, that being said, it's probably not exactly where we'd like to be right now. It's not something that we're um, asking clients to step into to take exposure there. So if you're in it, uh, by all means, hold it. But yep. it's not something we're looking to step into. Okay. Scott, what do you think of Domain? I like Domain as a business, Koshi. I think it and REA or realestate.com have some of the, you know, we talk about the rivers of gold from the newspapers. These were yep. truly and remain, you know, torrents, torrential rivers of gold, if I can invoke the current flooding. It, it is just phenomenal how well these guys have been able to convince us as sellers and real estate agents, as the middle people, to to mm -hmm. basically make, you know, to pay up, to pony up, to get premium listings, premier positions on the website, the whole box and dice because they are the only game in town. And while REA and realestate.com are far and away the dominant player, if you're selling a, a house or a unit, you're charging or you want to get, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000, let alone multi-millions of dollars for these things. Um, it just makes, you, you would not list in both these places, right? The, chance, the cost of missing a potential buyer is just way too high compared to the price. And in this case, those prices are really seen by sellers and agents as a small proportion of the potential sale price of the of the home. So in something that would be you know, a lot of money as a, a, a upfront if you're paying in cash, all of a sudden as a proportion of a seven-figure house, gee, that looks pretty cheap. If I can get a premier listing and pay a fortune and make sure every potential buyer sees my home, then I'm going to do it. Mm. That puts them both in a really great position. And it's one of these very rare network effect businesses where it's not winner takes all. 
you know, Facebook is the only social network in town within within reason. Seek effectively yep. the only employment website because why go elsewhere? When it comes to these guys, there is absolute value in listing in more than one place, and that's really really positive. So I like the business a lot. I have to say. I don't know how long they can maintain the growth of premium listings, both in terms of the number and the price. Obviously, real estate, literally, internet real estate is limited to some degree. There's only one page one. You have as many back pages as you want, but no one clicks to page 69. So mm-hmm. there's only as many sort of, you know, first, second, third listings you can you can sell. And there's actually much you can sell them for, particularly if house price growth does return to some sort of stagnation or even a decline at some point. You're paying 98 times earnings for domain. I said, I like the business. If I owned it, I'd love to, you know, I'd love the cash flow from these things. I don't want to pay 98 times earnings yep. for it, mate, so I can't. It's a self thing, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's right up there, isn't it? All right, um, let's take a look. Uh, Vic wants a view, um, Scott, on Collins Food. The, uh, they own a whole bunch of KFC and Taco Bell franchises in Australia, Netherlands and Germany. Uh, they have 240 KFC restaurants uh, in Australia, 17 in Germany, 23 in the Netherlands. Uh, they've got Taco Bell and um, their revenues have grown most recently pretty strongly because we're all sort of stuck at home and eating our, eating our KFC and Taco Bell home delivered by, uh, by Uber Eats. That, that's exactly been the story of the pandemic, hasn't it? Those guys in Domino's have done phenomenally yep. well and good luck to them too. Um, interesting, though, we should mention, of course, these guys did own Sizzler, uh, poor Sizzler. Yep. Uh, no longer with us, but the home of home of the wonderful cheese bread. Um, the, look, the, you know, this is a business that has done a really, really great job, mate. I've I've missed the run up on this one really since its listing. Um, it has, by rights, it's it's a it's a small was originally a Queensland based franchise or probably the third string takeaway name. You know, you got the, the Maccas, you got the Dominoes, maybe KFC comes third, maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. Um, and you kind of think, well, you know, how much can it really do? How, how much value can it genuinely add? Look at that graph. That's the answer. It has done Amazing. a spectacular job of growing sites, growing profits. The expansion overseas in Europe is new or relatively new. And they're so, so far doing a really good job of that. Taco Bell, I'm a little bit cold when I have to say. Taco Bell's tried to come to Australia a couple of times and never really made it. So I could be proven wrong here. I'm clearly not a connoisseur of, of, of Taco Bell. But I don't expect it to to do particularly well. The KFC restaurants, as I said, they're just doing a really, really great job of you know keeping revenues growing. Of course, the pandemic helped. But even before that, um, revenues growing, more sites, great, uh, greater same store sales. This is one of those stories where sometimes the franchisee just gets it right and gets it right in a really yeah. big way, a bit like Domino's itself. So I like it. A bit expensive for me at 21 odd times earnings. I think now, yes, it's growing nicely, but I don't expect that gross growth rate to continue, the pace of that growth to continue. That'll start to moderate a little bit. So I like the company. I wouldn't sell it if I owned it, but I couldn't buy a fast food franchise at 21 times earnings. Unless I had a really strong conviction that the growth was going to be significant from here. Okay, Rob. Yeah. Um, so look, their um, revenue grew uh, from KFC by about fifteen point six percent. So as soon as I read that, I thought oh, I've got to contribute to a couple of those points. Um, so look, it, it is a good business. Uh, the share price though has has spiked in the last couple of weeks. So we couldn't be paying those numbers. Uh, yep. The price earnings model we've got is about. 47.5 compared to a sector of uh, 30.4. Uh, revenue currently 85% in Australia, 14% Europe, just expanding into Asia as well. There's 1% there. The forecast growth is really good. Uh, revenue is increasing by 9%, EBITDA by 19%, net profits by 15%. 
even their dividends are getting a boost by 17%. So um, look, it's definitely a good business to get into if you can get the right price. Uh, I'd suggest uh, rather than uh, trying to buy it here, I'd be lightning if I had it. Uh, and if I wanted to get into the stock, which wouldn't be a bad idea, I don't think, uh, something close to that 200-day moving average around about the 970, which is actually where it was about right. two weeks ago. And that's where we had that you know, very, very sharp move, which may have actually been a, an amount of uh, institutional investors coming yeah. in and buying that 200-day moving average. Or it could be their uh, um, new major sponsorship with Port Adelaide in the AFL season starting. No, just saying. Nice. All right. Um, thank you for that. Um, let's. Uh, Greg wants a view on a really interesting business called Doctor Care Anywhere Group. I hadn't heard of this before. I um, you suggested it, Greg. It's a, a UK-based uh, company listed on the stock exchange only in December last year, so it's only recent. Um, the company has a trained staff of GPs available for, for remote home um, or video teleappointments on tablets and smartphones. Um, a bit like we got used to when, um, during COVID when you couldn't visit the doctor and you could telehealth in. Well, this is a company that does it. Um, had an IPO price in December of 80 cents um, and has come up with an agreement for Allianz Partners, um, a European health insurance provider, to have a link there and provide some services. So, uh, Rob, what do you think of Dr. Care Anywhere Group? Yeah, I, I'm like you, David. I hadn't kind of oh. seen it before uh, the viewer wrote in. Um, look, we had a quick look at it. The utilisation of their services, so that um, appointment you know, over, over video, that accounts for about 77.5% of their revenue. They do have a subscription model as well, uh, that accounts for about 15.5% of their revenue. Uh, there are some other bits and pieces worth the other 7%. Um, it, it does look an interesting business. Uh, I think it's ultimately going to be um, the way in which a lot of people engage with healthcare professionals moving forward. Um, the problem that we have with it at the moment is just, it's just the valuation and um, the way in which they're putting the business together. Um, we did see that revenue ticked up by 102%, which was great. Yep. Unfortunately, their operating costs ticked up by 262%. No. Okay. Um, now, look, there was 70% increase uh, in their R&D expenses, but also we had 130% increase in their admin expenses and 110 in sales and marketing. Now, that sales and marketing expense may decline moving forward as their name kind of gets put out yep. there, but it's, it's not a, at a point yet that I could go and buy into it. Uh, if I was in the stock and I wanted to give them every chance to succeed, I'd probably have a stop loss around the 80 cent mark, which is the uh, IPO price. Right. Um, otherwise, I'd be just waiting to see for a few more um, uh, company results to come out. Mm -hmm. The other thing just to, to mention too, David, is um, they are also looking to expand into the Republic of Ireland. So okay. they will truly have that international uh, flavour um, you know, in the next couple of years. But right now, it's just too early stage okay. for us. Uh, Scott? Interesting business, uh, Koshi. This is one that's analogous to Teledoc in the US and is doing a spectacular job. Now, they've been hit harder and longer by COVID, so maybe that's accelerated the change towards that telehealth thing. I, I, I'm a bit of a, I was a bit of a bear personally previously. I couldn't imagine choosing to Skype into a doctor rather than go to the, if you got, you know, something you want them to see or touch or feel or check. Um, you know, can it be done on the screen? I've got a cough. Well, how, you know, how good is that going to be transmitted across the, the technology, all that kind of stuff. So I couldn't see using it myself, but plenty of people do and are using it in larger and larger numbers. 
I'm always a little bit skeptical too, though, when a, a UK business chooses to list in Australia. Yeah. When someone from overseas says, "Hey, let's not list in Australia," you think, "Well, hang on, why are they doing that? Are they mm -hmm. taking us trying to take us for mugs, or do they think somehow our market is more receptive to that?" You have to just be a little bit concerned about why they would choose that and what you know what they're trying to take advantage of or not. Uh, and I won't make any allegations or aspersions there, but just generally speaking, when businesses do that, I want to be a little bit careful. All of that said, mate, a couple of the guys at the business have actually looked at this and quite liked the company. Um, so getting some really good traction in the UK, again, with similar kind of COVID uh, outcomes, unfortunately, experience to the to the Yanks. Um, so, you know, getting good traction there, uh, as Rob's already mentioned, moving in Northern Ireland as well. It's speculative for sure. It's losing money. Uh, it may not be able to mirror the success of Teladoc in the US. I mean, for can Teladoc's an enormous business growing incredibly quickly. So this is purely on the speculative end of the spectrum. Uh, the guys said, uh, a couple of guys that would really like this company, I think it's got long long legs, unless as long as you recognize, of course, it's a speculative one and anything could happen. So I'm saying both those things at the same time, speaking of both sides of my mouth, it is a super high risk option, uh, but really it's in the right place at the right time, doing the right things and getting that growth. Uh, and I guess that's the other thing is if it's delivering some sort of growth, delivering more customers, more patients, uh, more doctors, of course, and potentially, as, as Rob's already mentioned, getting uh, other allied uh, insurance companies, others to actually pay for it. That's a pretty yeah. good sign. There is something real here to take advantage of. So speculative for sure. Um, but if you're keen, this one, have a look at. Okay. Spec buy for you. All right. Our final stock, um, Scott Tony wants a view on New Farm. Um, it's a an agricultural business, of course, it provides seeds uh, to farmers uh, for their crops um, to protect them against damage and things like that. Quite an interesting business, this one, isn't it? And uh, right across Australia, New Zealand, Asia, the Americas uh, and Europe, they their seeds businesses focus on canola, sorghum and, and sunflower seeds. It is fascinating, Kosh, yeah, incredibly cyclical, right? This this business yeah. is just all over the place, depending on weather and even, even things like crop prices. It's just, it's a really, really tough one to look at. You can't draw a, a line of best fit through any of this and say, here's, here's what the trend looks like. I will start by saying, of course, that the, the AGM, that the MD basically said, look, management is aware of the unacceptable result or words to that effect. Right. Um, they, they weren't missing words and good on you for, for calling it out. They had a really tough year last year. On the flip side, their early sales in the first four months of the new fiscal year are up about 17%. So if you think about, again, that cycle potentially starting to turn, and that's been some of the recovery we've seen in that, in that graph there is the market recognizing that things actually improved from what was a terrible year. If you go back even further, the chart looks even worse. It's been a really, really tough ride. There you go for new farm shareholders over time. You can see that there. It, it's it, it does interest the bargain hunter in me. Um, and as long as you're prepared to recognize this can be cyclical and seasonal, uh, I'll try to overlay all of those at the same time. You've got to have a really strong stomach. This is going to be super volatile, uh, but it's a pretty inexpensive price unless you believe something is fundamentally broken. I don't think it is. But as I said, you've got no real financials to extrapolate from. In fact, they made a loss last year. So, you, you know, what, what PE? Well, it's infinity because there's, there's no earnings at the moment. Yeah. That's a tough starting point for most. I think it's worth a look at this price um, as long as you're prepared for a bit of volatility and that cyclicality will come with it. I think it's a buy. Okay. Uh, Rob? Yeah, look, uh, long-term, Koshy, I think this comes with buyer beware. Um, look, one of the, the real issues that we've got with the stock is that uh, the company seems to be too heavily dependent on the raw materials coming out of China. Um, you know, that would actually, we've seen them actually um, cease making key crop protection chemicals 
uh, here in Australia because the Chinese have come into this market under the free trade agreement. Um, so any business that can't control their cost of goods, um, and in this case not only can they not control their cost of goods which is going to impact their margins, they can't even protect their market share. So um, this is unfortunately not something I'd be wanting to get into for the long term. Uh, as a short term play, sure, you know, the technicals look pretty good. As Scott said, you know, that there might be some short term value here, but as a long term play, I, I just can't get interested in it. Okay. All right. Let's uh, thank you for that suggestion, Tony. Let's just recap the uh, final five stocks. Regal Funds um, has had a great result. Uh, investment managers have been fabulous. Um, Scott's got a hold on it. Um, Rob agrees it's done really well and probably time to shave some profits off of the top there. Uh, Domain, a no from Scott. Rob, uh, a no, but if you're in it, hold on to it. No reason to sell. Uh, Collins Foods, uh, Rob would prefer the share price down around 970. Um, Would be fair value for, for buying. Um, Scott's saying um, no at these levels, but again, if you're in it, um, it's worth holding on to it. Um, Doctor Care Anywhere, highly speculated buy from, from Scott, a no from Rob, and uh, New Farm, a no from Rob, and um, uh, worth a look in terms of uh, Scott saying that counter-cyclical buy, it's really down on its bootstraps. Um, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, great to catch up, mate. Appreciate your time, as always. Love it. Thank you, Koshi. Thank you, Rob. Good afternoon. And Rob Corlett from Macro. Great to have you aboard, Rob. Some really great analysis there. And thank you, everyone, for watching. If you uh, have any stocks you'd like our expert panel to take a look at, put them in an email to us, thecall.ausbiz.com.au, or tweet us using the AusbizTV handle. If you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, And don't forget to subscribe to the AusBiz newsletter, Scuddy's View, the COB podcast, popular videos. Uh, Subscribe, ausbiz.co forward slash the COB. Uh, Coming up on the Startup Daily show at 2pm, all of the companies that are seeking capital and uh, in that startup venture capital uh, area, Nick Bell, um, is going to join the group as he launches Lisnik, uh, a new platform to help people find mentors. Uh, that's coming up on the Startup Daily Show at 2pm. That's it from us. A lot happening on Ausbiz for the rest of the day. We'll be back after the break. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.